Welcome to the Top Advisor Marketing Podcast brought to you by Proudmouth. I'm your host, Matt Halloran. Being your own loud is not new to marketing, but the mindset, strategies, and resources to help you get there are evolving faster than this industry is keeping up. It is time to find a new perspective on what works why and how to move your business forward. Listen as I interview guests to help you learn from them how to be your own loud. Let's get to the show. Welcome to another episode of the Top Advisor Marketing Podcast. My name is Kirk Lowe. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Proudmouth. Usually have Matt on the show with his wonderful interview skills and voice and mind. Today, I'm taking over the helm and I've got a very personal, personally significant and business significant guest today. His name is Jim Casino. And Jim is, he'll introduce himself here in a sec, but I'm going to tell you a little bit of a little story to get us started here. Seven years ago, Matt and I met and started Proudmouth as we know it today. It wasn't named that originally, but it evolved into that. And when, when we started, we had various roles. We were kind of figuring out who was going to do what, who was best at what, kind of moved around a bit. And as we've moved on here, as I suspected, and I'm happy to fulfill, I mean, I've evolved into running, operating, envisioning what the business will be. And Matt has, I don't think Matt had to evolve into to it because he's just uh, an incredible orator, presenter, has a lot of passion, a lot of energy, and was really important early on uh, for him and I to get comfortable podcasting, which, as you know, is a big part of our influence acceleration business. Here's the important part. I've wondered at times, I've labeled myself a CEO for years now, and I've wondered at times, at what point did I feel like a CEO? And I don't really know the answer to that. I'm not even really sure sometimes I feel like one now, but I think I am. And we're going to talk today a little bit, it's kind of like a baseline story about how do you know when you become a CEO? And what's really interesting about this is I do feel like it's kind of lonely. You're overseeing a company and you have to, you're responsible for everybody. You're responsible for the direction of the company. Ultimately, everything bubbles up to you, should come from you. And it's a massive responsibility. It's also a fun and challenging opportunity and experience, but it, it can be really lonely. And a couple of years ago, I started realizing how lonely it was at times. Now I've got a wonderful COO, Matt's a wonderful business partner, and we have great conversations. But being responsible for everything is just a different vibe. And you're kind of searching for, well, how do I you know, collaborate, meet other people, find somebody who's been there, done that. So I started exploring opportunities and a couple came up. And as I was interviewing and doing my due diligence, I found Jim Casino. And Jim, I chose Jim over other companies and programs that were at proven systems, all kinds of neat things because, and hopefully you guys can use this in your business. I chose Jim because I felt like he cared more about my business and my, and me than anybody else I interviewed. It was really obvious. And that's one of the things that I think I've done really well when I look at 
bringing other people in to support the company is how much do they care about what I'm trying to build or what we're trying to build here at Proudmouth. And Jim, it'll probably come out really quick. He is an, is a sincere, empathetic, wise, kind, and a wonderful at simplicity and storytelling, all these things. I'm really building this guy up. He's going to kick some butt for us today. That was a long intro. My apologies, but I think sometimes... Far too gracious as well, but thank yeah, you. So welcome, everybody. Drum roll. I don't know if you can hear that because my noise canceling is so yeah, good. Yeah, little drum roll. Got it. Casino. Yeah. Thank you, Kirk. Wow, that was, gosh, more than I had ever expected and probably have ever received, but I thank you so much for that. I do care about you, and I do care about your company. And one of the luxuries I have at this stage in my own career is sort of picking the clients I work with. And it's just as picking employees in your organization is so darn important to your ultimate success and your business success. Same goes with me and my business. But I have the added advantage of saying yes or saying no to prospective clients. And as I've told you so many times, you are, I always tell you, you're my very favorite client and I don't want to offend my other clients, but gosh, in many ways you really, really are. Well, that's assuming they're all listening, but hopefully they will, but I hope they will. No, that's hopefully up, they'll up pick to up something today. Well, I appreciate it. And I suspect sometimes that stuff's just because you just connect with people and you and I connected pretty quick. Yeah, we have. Ah, yeah. But as we say that, I have to agree that, you know, I don't have Matt's elubiant personality, his deep resonant voice and his energy that is just bottled. If we could bottle it, we'd all be billionaires. So I don't bring that to the table, but I'm honored by no, the chance. Well, everybody's, to everybody's interesting for being themselves, I think. And we're not trying to be Matt with his enthusiasm, although I will try today because I've been reading that when you wave your hands, as it was a TED talk, they did an experiment recently, and the people that move their hands around a lot keep people engaged in listening to their presentations longer. I read that too. You know, being Italian, I use my hands all the time, though. So I almost need to grasp them. When I was a young kid, my mother would take me shopping and would insist when we went in the stores, I held my hands behind my back so I wouldn't touch stuff. So here I am holding my hand, so I'm not using mine at the moment. But you're absolutely right. Let's use our hands today. So there's a lot of you listening saying, who cares if you're waving your hands because I'm listening to a podcast. The reality is that we put this on YouTube like we do for all of our clients' podcasts, or most of them, the ones that will allow us to anyway. But this is on YouTube on our Proudmouth channel, and you can watch it and or listen there. May I interrupt with something that it just reminded me of that you, you spoke of? In the, I run a company, as you know, called C-Suite Advisors. We have a number of advisors with specialty talents, as well as running their own CEO and being CEOs of their own businesses as well. And one of the new practice elements, uh, service offerings we're offering is all around executive presence and persuasion. And the reason I wanted to mention this is because in my personal view, this is new as a part of a responsibility a CEO today has. And it's new to the tune of probably 40 years. Before 40 years ago, the the norm was a command and control executive uh, whose only real public opportunity to speak was related to employee meetings or shareholder meetings or things like that. That's really where you saw them. You may see them in the Wall Street Journal, but it's on print. 
But since social media has come into play, since the internet has really gained the enormous traction it has, the CEO's role has become, in some respects, more complicated because a CEO's ability to communicate succinctly with clarity, passion, and with a delivery that really connects with an audience and understands that audience, by the way, is a vital job skill. And that's why we work with CEOs on this particular part of their being and their comfort in their communication with others. Sorry for interrupting, but I just wanted to mention that since, because, and the reason I wanted to mention it, frankly, is because you're really good at it. You're really, really good at it. It's one of your core talents and skills that I see all the time in your podcast, but I also see as we have our Zoom calls and go back and forth. I see that in you and I compliment you. I appreciate that. It's been some practice for sure. It definitely did not come easy. I don't think it really necessarily came easy for Matt either. Everybody probably thinks. Yeah, I don't it believe is. that. It's like, <laughs> yeah, maybe parts of yeah being there are definitely parts because he's pretty spontaneous, and he, you know to be a, a great communicator and interviewer, you have to be prepared. And although the little things that happen can actually make something like this great. For instance, you're way off script and I love it. And I was hoping you would because you like being on script, but you're already, so I'm really happy. What's really interesting about what you said is that you're talking about CEOs having to evolve into more be, becoming the face of a company or the voice of a company. In my case, I have a lot of help and support or our company has a lot of help and support with Matt but it is true. And it's not just CEOs, it's business owners, experts. And that's really why we do what we do here at Proudmouth. And I love that. And I do remember you had an episode with the with this expert in your C-suite because Jim has a podcast that we produce. You guys can send him messages on LinkedIn, if you don't mind, and tell him that he has Pretty to good. do more. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, it's funny you mentioned he's that. really good at you, it. You mentioned it because I do have a whole plan. I'm just trying to figure out how I can afford all the podcasts I want to do. We have the last one I just did through Proudmouth. And incidentally, as I, I should say it publicly since I say it privately, I adore what Proudmouth does. And I so applaud the idea that while you are a podcasting provider and production house, you are much, much bigger than that. You really are an influence marketing shop that can is really in a leading position in many ways in helping new marketing expertise be taught, shared, and employed in one's business. And that's what I'm doing. So I really enjoy it. Remember my post last week that you commented on and we were talking about whether or not you shouldn't can sell while you're on a podcast. We've been selling the whole time here, haven't we? Yes, we have. I mean, very quietly. But it's funny because you commented that I I made it sound like in my post that you shouldn't sell at all. Uh, and what I mean is, you when you give enough value in something, you can you can ask for something back. Law of reciprocity. Hopefully, now we've asked. We we have a couple of things. We've talked a couple of times about what. Jim's business does, one of his C-suite professionals, and what Proudmouth does. Now we're going to earn it from you guys. So let's dive into some stuff today. These are, what we're going to talk about today are five business musings or lessons slash analogies that Jim has learned over his 30 plus years 
running, saving, buying, and selling companies. Just so you guys know, Jim has helped buy no, and buy, sell, sell or just I, sell, I pull, sell and sold over, a lot. Buy, sell eight companies. No, it's actually over $10 it's actually fifteen, but thank you. I don't imagine <laughs> that's good. Fifteen. Well, no, well, no, it, fifteen is almost like you know, guy, the guy can't keep a job. So the reality is sometimes scary as well as the as the news itself. But anyway, let's jump in. Yeah. So we're going to share some analogies slash lessons. And here's the first one. The first one is you have an analogy that refers to a fish. Can you share your quote and its purpose? Do you remember that? I do. I do. It's, I should alert your, our audience here that I have, am not prepared in the least bit. Well, I'm sure you are. Cause I know you Kirk, we agreed that we were just going to do this extemporaneously. So you put me well, on the spot. The thing that... is to share, I'm just going to keep you dialed in here. Share the, what the quote is and then its purpose. The, just a brief. I've got three questions after that that follow. Uh, okay. Well, I, a little context would probably help. I was with a dearest friend of all in my whole life in Aspen and in the summer. And he's a genuine outdoorsman. And he said, let's go fly fishing. And I said, I love that idea. I've never done it, but I really want to. I'm very attracted to the core idea. And so we went fly fishing. So we get on the banks of the river and I ask him, I waiters the whole bit. And I say, okay, I've got one question for you, George. How do you catch a fish? And he turned around before he got wet and said, think like a fish. And it took me just a nanosecond to realize that there was a great deal of depth to that simple answer, which appeared to be flippant. And I've used that, uh, that little story often. It works predominantly if you are raising capital or if you are selling a product or you are even managing your own workforce. It doesn't really matter. What matters is that you think like the audience you are addressing. And if you, th this is a form of EQ, emotional intelligence, that if you think about the needs, the reality, the situation of that person that you are trying to move from A to B, and you successfully connect with that reality, you will be far more successful in not only that particular dialogue, but in all dialogues. So that's where the story came from. Think like a fish is something I just kind of always keep in the back of my mind because normally the presenter thinks about himself or herself. They think about the message they want to get across. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it's, it's dated. Not stated is not the right word. It's stilted. It, it just isn't genuine. It's not authentic. And what you're really looking for is an authentic conversation that allows you to connect with the person first and foremost before you get into the selling your idea. Do you, the gentleman you're fishing with, his name was a Jeremy Wade, was it? <laughs> no, no, no. George Morris, one of my dearest so friends. So Jeremy, you know who Jeremy Wade is? I don't. He's no. the, that famous, he, he has two, at least two TV shows about fishing, River Monsters. And he wrote a book called How to Think Like a Fish and Other Lessons from a Lifetime of Angling and Angling. And I, did you know there's a book called Think Like a Fish? I did not know that either. That's no, funny. no. At the, in all candor, I'm not much of a fisherman. 
I'm not sure. I didn't catch a fish that day, by yeah. the way. That's funny. <laughs> but I did think like the fish. I at least tried. Well, Jeremy should know that. I don't know Jeremy. I'll look him up, yeah. though. So Jeremy should know that we are not copyright infringing because Jim just told a unique story about using that wonderful title. But it, it has a lot of meaning. And what do you think the meaning is? I mean, you started to explain the, the meaning for a business owner, but maybe reflect on a little bit more. What does it mean to think like a fish as a CEO or as a business? Well, let's talk CEO. That's really my area, I would say. More than business, my expertise is in CEO think. And for a CEO who, by definition, is multifaceted, has responsibilities over a very, very wide array of needs for the business. Uh, in every environment within which they are moving things forward, they need to keep in mind the idea of thinking like a fish because it's human connection. Obviously, you're not thinking like a fish. You're thinking like that human that's across the table from you. But a CEO's role is really simple. And while we can get into depth on any number of areas, the fundamental two main priorities are, number one, delivering a compelling vision of the future and asking for volunteers. And number two, allocating resources for the achievement of the vision. Believe it or not, there are a zillion things. I have a client who gave me a three-page listing of his responsibilities and I said, well, let's boil this down. Let's boil this down to what the essence of this is. And there is the transactional and the tactical part of running any business that can be mind-boggling. But for the CEOs that spend all of their energy or the bulk of their energy focusing on the transactional side of the business, they are missing the strategic and the higher level parts of the business that really are the pieces that engage people. Now, we've seen this a lot in Gen Zs, believe it or not, who have moved, the, the generations as they've progressed have moved away from the baby boom materiality, if you will. It was all about ownership and having stuff to more experiential and toward more social benefit. We've, we're seeing this in the younger generations where they want to work with an organization that has a higher purpose than simple profit. And going back when we talked about persuasion years ago and the decades in the past where 100% was on profitability, then it moved to stakeholder, shareholder, and then to stakeholder, and then to, and the stakeholders included employees, and the stakeholders included shareholders, and the stakeholder included vendors, and all those kind of things that now I'm kind of lost my train of thought. But the whole idea is that a CEO has to be malleable and adaptable and communicate with all audiences in an uplifting, inspirational way to move a business forward. So any, any tips on, or tools on how to implement thinking like a fish? Well, the first thing is putting yourself in the other person's shoes and realizing or thinking through to the best of your ability, their reality. Within which and what context are they coming to you? And if it's a meeting that you are CEO, you're asking a subordinate to come to a meeting, chances are pretty darn good there's a stress level there that that employee faces 
because you are CEO. You're the ultimate decision point in their career and their livelihood. So first off, you need to realize that you have power that you may not even really acknowledge that is clearly a part of their persona when they walk in the room. And beyond that, there are CEOs who create great friendships with their employees and deep, deep relationships that last a lifetime. And gosh, love them for that because that's wonderful. But at the same time, to be just nothing but a friend is failing to be a CEO because your job is to inspire them to achieve greatness in their own life, and their own career, through your guidance, your mentorship, your coaching. And another thing I'll throw in, which is a little bit not directly answering your question, but I think it's important, and that is you have to give your people a chance to fail. Environments where failure is a sin or a firing a terminatable offense never keeps the top people. It's funny, I had a, a meeting this morning before we met, Kirk, that with the guy who was telling me his management philosophy was that he would tell people when they first started working for him, I expect you to fail. But I expect you to fail once, not fail two or three times on the same problem. I expect you to learn from that failure and then go on and press the limits and fail again and keep getting better and better and better. And the idea he shared with me, which I thought was really wonderful, was that the human being learns more from failure than from success. And when you allow a person with potential and enthusiasm and passion for your business to fail, when you give them the right to fail, and then you encourage them along the path to getting it all right, you're actually accelerating their growth as well as the growth of your company. Yeah. I think there's so many business owners that are terrified of the idea that their team are going to fail. I think they're absolutely terrified. And what's really interesting is I don't think we are as aware of how many times we've failed and how much we've learned from that. And what do you think about that? Well, I think it's dangerous for a CEO ever to be terrified of anything. And yet we are all the time. We all, to one degree or another, suffer from the imposter syndrome where we wonder why we're where we are. And we know that we're not maybe in some areas as good as we've been spoken of, just like your introduction to me today. I know that's kind of very glowing things, but I know I'm not up for that, really, all that accolade, those accolades. Uh, but it's very dangerous for a CEO to display fear outwardly because they are perceived as the you know, the iron, they're like Margaret Thatcher, the iron woman. What, what was she called? The iron prime minister, whatever. How she was never flap, flappable. And uh, your employees want to know from you that you're a stabilizing force in turmoil. That you are able to keep your head about you when all others are losing theirs. The old Rudyard, I think it was Rudyard Kipling poem, if. They need to know that you have their best interest at heart. And that that you are, in fact, a supporter, not a detractor of their gains and their learnings and their contributions. And so I'm really rambling here, but I didn't prepare for this. And so getting off track a little bit. I, I wanted you to ramble. Well, you don't have to ramble, but I'm not sure why you feel like you were because I asked you a question. But I wanted to get you off the cuff because you always have answers. 
um, which I love. Hey, it's Matt jumping in for just a second. If you're an advisor, you work in the expertise economy where influence is like oxygen. Influence is how you prove your expertise so more people want to work with you without you having to convince them. To find out how much influence you have right now, take our free five minute test and get your influence scorecard. Just go to proudmouth.com to start. So here, I'm going to move on to the next one now. So this is another quote, I guess, that you use, analogy, and I love it when you first said it. Makes so much sense. I'm going to ask you to a couple questions after I share it here. So simplicity is an act of selection, not compression. Can you share that, you know, the purpose of that and where you first heard it? I'm, I'm not sure I can remember where I first heard it, but it has become a part of my, because I think it's so powerful. And let me... Before you ask your other questions, just a little bit about simplicity. I follow the, believe it or not, I do know this, the uh, Leonardo da Vinci view, which is simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. As a CEO running a business, you are immersed in complexity, regardless of the business. And part of your ambition and job is to simplify to essence to what is most important. And in a way, don't worry about the other stuff. Now that sounds ridiculous and it is in some respects, but the the goal of the CEO is to walk above the mire that is immersed in every, that is a part of every business, the complexity, and to make your stories and that you will tell connect with people, human beings at a level that they can not only appreciate, embrace, but remember. I think that's really, really important. So when I say the, the quote I think you talked about with simplicity is a selection, is, is an act of selection, not compression. When I often advise my clients, okay, we got to simplify this. We got to simplify this message. We got to simplify this product. We have to simplify this supply chain flow through. Often the response is to just jam more in. And jamming more in actually increases the complexity and moves 180 degrees away from the target you're trying to build. So you have to select, you have to make judgments on to get this, I must give up that. And it's very, very hard. CEOs typically are pack rats. Years ago, so before we became Proudmouth, I was brand consultant and working with this money manager in New York. And when I met them, they were, they had 800 million in assets and the owner and his son were traveling 42 weeks of the year. And what they were travel and doing is they were talking about their investment philosophy. They had written a book. It was well accepted among financial advisors and they were money manager for managing money for advisors, clients, assets. And what they were doing is they were traveling around talking about their philosophy and they were presenting, doing client appreciation events, seminars, business growth opportunities, things like that. And they were just, they were exhausted. The worst part about that in, in from what they were telling me is they, they were away from family, which was a problem, but they were also, they didn't have time to work on their business because they were always working in the business. 
And so they invited me down to see if we could come up with some ways to help. Now, what was really interesting is they were all doing all this. They had a national sales team with eight people. And I was thinking to myself, how do you, how they were, they were not empowered, right? Because every time somebody needed to talk about the story, it was always one of the two owners. Anyway, I sat down in a boardroom an hour and a half, the owner, the, the main, the, the senior told, I, I'm going to say 25 stories about why people should invest with them. I'm not kidding. 25. And I let him go. Cause they were, he was really good. He was so good at, it. you could see why people love being around him. He could just tell a story like so well. I said, well, what are your top five? And he gave us top five, took him some time. And within five, 10 minutes, he had figured out his top five kind of. And I said, why not just tell those five stories and we'll get your, we'll help your team be so good at those five stories that they can own those five stories because they can't own 25. But they could probably own five. Would you agree? Yeah, I think they're great. Are these five stories the ones that you that are the most? Yeah, they're the most important. If you know, so we did this act of selection, not compression, which happens in marketing, right? Everybody, you're, if you think about building a web page, a financial advisor, business owner, an RIA, whoever you are, you always well. What about this? What about that? What about this? We do this. We do that. And it ends up being, well, who are you? Cause you're doing everything. And I don't need to hear all this. Tell me the stuff I need to remember and take away. And just hit me with that. Hit me with it. Hit me with it. Problem health is an influence acceleration. We're way like influence accelerator. We are way more than a podcast company, right? So that's who we are. And, but it's okay to be known for podcasting uh, as well as the other thing. But anyway, so what we end up doing is this is, yeah, I'm not done. It gets more, but I'll get through the rest of it quickly here. What we did is we created five videos, five animated videos that visually and audio wise told these little musings about why you should work with them, invest in their investment velocity. And what we did is we made these available to the advisors. So when they were at a seminar or webinar, or even in a client meeting, they could play the video. And then eventually, you know, they were going to own it, but they could play the video put it on their website, play it in the, and they didn't need these guys anymore. So they started not traveling, created a new product, had one of the best days on the New York Stock Exchange ever, two point something billion. And then when, after a year and a half, when I left, they were a $3.6 billion asset, 3.6 cent assets under administration, huge growth. Yeah. And the funny thing is, is it didn't really have anything to do with our company. It really, I mean, we didn't go build that new product. We didn't, they did all kinds of great things, but what's really odd about marketing sometimes and what consultants do is they solve problems of business, but marketing solves a problem in a business. And if you do it, and that's a simple view of it. I don't know why people don't take that, but anyway, the whole point of this was not that marketing solves problem. The whole point was that by simply selecting five things instead of 25 an active selection, not compression. It made a massive impact. And there's areas all through your business where you can do this stuff. So Jim's the guest. So I'm going to get back to him. So the next. Well, but I mean, before you ask the next question, I want to comment on part of that. The interesting thing you just described was a CEO and his partner who were adept at storytelling. And then you helped them simplify by selecting the five out of the 25 that really resonated and created a video so that they were no longer necessary in that mix. The optimal goal is 
to have your people be storytellers so that you are embedding in them through your example uh, stories that they tell and they embrace as their story because their story is related to the business. The stories that come from your people down the chain of command are every bit as valuable as those that are taught through example at the top of the pyramid. And so I really love the way you described and you helped that client go to $3.8 billion. I mean, that's, that's quite a success story. Pretty awesome. Yeah, I'm going to move on to the next. I'm going to skip one here because we I'll, I'll mention it at the end to give some context to it. But the, the next one is you quoted uh, a famous CEO and the three things that, that they would do as a leader and walk around the company and ask everybody. And I loved it. And I, my, not just myself, but my team used this three question system to connect with people all the time. And I think it was so wonderful when you said it, it made so much sense. Do you want to sh- share that first? Yeah. The three things. Now I think I made, I might've modified them a little bit, but you tell yours and then I'll tell you how I had modified it. And then, yeah, we'll go from there. Yeah, Jack Welsh, of course, one of the iconic CEOs of the 20th century, uh, CEO of GE, had a gigantic conglomerate, which has since been changed quite a bit. But Ned, his reputation, and he talks about this in one of his books, his reputation, he had a pattern when he walked through plants and he went and kicked the tires, so to speak. He would basically ask people and executives he ran up to, ran into three specific questions. First question was, what's going on? Open-ended. What's going on? Second question was, what are you doing about it? And third question was, how can I help? And I just love that and all of the things it represents. It represents fluidity, creativity, and power. The power being, I am looking to you with my questions. I'm looking to you for a contemporaneous and accurate view of your area. I'm looking to you for, to hear your creative energies around how are you managing these challenges. All businesses, all departments have challenges. And then I'm offering my service to help. And, you know, if you're a Jack Welsh at the very top of this multi, multi, multi multi-billion dollar corporation, you know darn well, you're not going to be asked, well, I I need you to talk to my next door neighbor because I just don't like the noise they're making during their meetings. You're going to pick and choose your requests very carefully. But an interesting part of that story, Kirk, is that apparently, and I don't know if this is true or not, but I still like if it is true, the person that didn't have answers to those questions, including the third one, how may I help you? he would question whether or not they're the right person in the spot. And it's really a fascinating methodology to sort of make a judgment call. Do I have the right person in the right seat that is passionate about that seat, passionate about performance and gain, understands the issues and problems they're facing, has a plan and is dealing with those, and is not afraid to ask for help from the CEO to move his business forward. And I think it's Hopefully that's the story you wanted me to tell a little bit about. I love it. And those three questions can empower any CEO 
at any time of the day. They don't take a lot of time, a lot of preparation, but you learn a whole lot. Yeah, you you do learn a lot. I've been using these for about a year, year and a half, and I've shared them with other you know leaders in the team. I, I changed them a little bit. I don't know if it's helpful, but I'll, I'll just list them for everybody. Uh, I don't have it verbatim, but off the top of my head, the first one, instead of what's going on, I ask what's going well. And then the next one is what's not going well, or we could be doing better, or we haven't started yet that we should be. The third one is how can I help? So I didn't change that one, (laughs) obviously. Well, having your own version of it is fine. I, I think what's going well is great. And I like that. I instinctively like Jack's better than yours. And the reason is it's open-ended. Yours is closed. What's well, I got to think about what is going well. Gosh, the day I'm having, nothing's going well, but I'm going to make something up for my CEO. What's going bad? Well, let me unload on you here. And what I want is I want to see that person and have that person react with the good, the bad, the ugly, everything, because it gives me insight into where their thinking is. Anyway, I love your variation and I'd say run with it. Yeah, I separated them to the good and the bad because I wanted to start off a call with what's going well on a positive thing and then slowly move into the, is there anything not going so well? But also do it in the, with the idea that it's okay if things aren't going well. I expect they're not and go from there. So I don't know if that makes any sense. But. I've, got one, I've got one more for you that, that you're probably going to want to edit out if you don't mind. And that is CEOs need to be careful of the shit sandwich. The shit sandwich is everybody knows that when you're called into the big bosses or human resources or whatever office, that there's bad news coming your way. And they know that it's usually let off with a nice little compliment. And then you get zinged in the middle of it. And then it ends in a nice compliment. And the fact of the matter is most people know what's coming. They know what's happening and it undermines believability and credibility. It's really better not to, to focus on not the shit to set them up for it. Where yeah. in the middle, you put all the yeah. complaints, yeah, don't set you know, them up for it. but to just talk, to just talk with the person, you know, I know you've had some challenges with this. Can you tell me more about that? Your next door neighbor has, has really been complaining about you because of this. And I'd love to hear, you know, why, what's going on? Why is there an issue here? Instead of, gosh, you look nice today. Oh, by the way, you know, bah, 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 bah. Oh, gee, I hope you have a great day. So the shit sandwich is another fun one to remember as a CEO or as any manager in business is more important than just the struggle of getting across the negative messaging. It's still a process of relationship building. And if you look at it that way, you'll approach it differently. I can see how a lot of, I, I, can, I won't say a lot. I won't judge there. I can see that there are leaders who would struggle with the shit sandwich that you just mentioned. And by the way, that's allowed to stay on this podcast, so don't worry about it. It's with good, it's with good taste and intentions. I do believe that the way that I do that, because I'm a mostly positive leader, is that I would be contributing to that. But I do, like anybody, you want to be aware of that. So I think that's really important advice is to be careful of not falling into that because then every time, anytime you leave with something good, it's never going to feel good because they feel like something bad's coming. 
So I, I, I agree. You got to be real careful there. So I will consider that in, in, the, in the future. Okay. The next one and the last one is you talk about, you talk, you actually started talking about this earlier. This is a little slightly different, but kind of the same thing. Actually, it is the same thing, but it's a little more detail. You talked about a five-step process for businesses that are evolving into CEOs and the five, I'll start with the five steps because I don't want to make this a guessing game. But the first one is, so five steps to being a great CEO are number one, vision. Number two, communication. Number three, delegation. Number four, monitoring. And number five, repeat. So what led you to developing these steps? Read a book, experience it. You talked about it earlier. You talked about it a little differently. You said vision, and then you talked about giving people the resources to get the job done. Yeah. Vision, volunteers, resources was... Yeah. Vision and volunteers is really one. Let me go back to the the first. They're one. all in. It's all the same thing. This, and I don't remember kind where of. you gave me the five, but kind I wrote of, it down. Yeah. The, uh, but, but let me go back for one thing I didn't mention when we first got started about the, the main two jobs of resource allocation, you know, compelling vision in the future and asking for volunteers. And that is the asking for volunteers part. I didn't mention, but it sort of relates to all these five steps you just talked about. We as CEOs need to think of our employees, our independent contractors, our vendors, our customers, and our shareholders as volunteers, not as indentured servitude, which went out with the 13th Amendment. And that is a, that's a tectonic shift over the last 50 years in business that, that I would encourage all business owners and CEOs to be thinking about, because fundamentally... People do have choices today that they have not always had in history. They may go elsewhere. If your story and your vision isn't strong enough, isn't lofty enough, isn't worthy of their very best efforts, you won't keep your best people. But the tactical, the transactional, so anyway, net-net, treat them like volunteers. Love them, build relationship, talk with them, don't hide in the closet all day long, get out on the shop floor Spend time getting to know these people because they're more than your employees. They're your friends. They're your allies in the bigger quest you're trying to go for. When you get down to the transactional level for a CEO, those five things absolutely apply. And as you're building a company, the vision is absolutely first and foremost. That's why are you better? Why are you different? Why does that make a difference? Why would someone pay you to do what you're doing versus your competition out there. So the vision, the magnitude of it, the social good, et cetera, are all vitally important. Communicating that, which was year number two, is something that most CEOs get really tired of. And I've had so many tell me over the years, oh my gosh, I feel like a broken record. I keep coming back and having to say it over and over again. And the reality is, yes, you do. That's part of your job. You need to bring believers into your mix. You need to not have somebody just nod their head and go off and live their own life. You need them to embrace your vision and give it their all and build their own stories about why that what they're doing in your company is so important uh, to the overall good of the world, as well as in your particular niche. So communication in different ways 
the same stories and messages and enhancing those stories around the company are vitally important to the culture that you're trying to build. Culture can be very positive. It can be very negative. And I've seen both. And part of building a positive culture is creating the dialogue of business in a way that people understand how to talk, when to talk, what to share, and all the parts of growing as a group, an aggregate group, growing this business together. Uh, the third thing you talked about was delegation. This is something a lot of uh, CEOs are troubled with uh, until while they're in the middle market, let's say. And, and delegation is part of the key to great leadership. Again, if you give a compelling vision of the future and ask for volunteers, you're asking for people to volunteer to pick up part of the load to carry part of the process of growing and achieving your vision. So learning how to delegate, which also comes back to your fourth point, which was monitoring their progress. It's, it's more than just monitoring your people's progress after you've delegated a job. It's coaching them. It's teaching them. It's showing them how to behave when crisis hits. It's teaching them how to, there goes the dog again, sorry. It's teaching them how to be better at not only what they're doing, but how to embrace leadership as its opportunities are presented to them. Uh, and then the last one is repeat. You need to go through this exercise. These are transactional thoughts and exercises to being a great CEO, but you continue to build, to build, to build on all of these things. And the best way to grow a company is to build your people, is to develop your people so that they are better at you than you at the function that they are responsible for. That's how you uplift the CEO, is to uplift them through the relationship with high talent. I've noticed that more and more, that you can't get anywhere special if you don't have people who can who want to help get you there and who are capable of it and, and committed. And that's why having a vision and communicating it and delegating it, like trusting them to do it is so important. You cannot possibly do this or dictate it right on your own. You have to communicate it. You got to embrace it. You got to get them to, to buy in. I, I personally, I wonder if there's too many or there's CEOs and, and leaders who maybe don't have a vision or maybe the vision is all about them and not about like a, what we can do together in the first place. Because if you have that, then you, for me, I love communicating our story. I could talk about it all day long. Every day I could talk about it. I talk about it today with two important people on my team. I know we had a bit of a shift in our org structure here. And I was thinking maybe let's just, just tell everybody what, remind everybody what we're working towards here. And we had like a five minutes and it was great. I, I enjoyed it. It gets me jacked up. Every yeah, time I it's talk true. It. it does. It buoys you in addition to others. And that, you know, you're kind of a company's cheerleader. You're the one who inspires others to reach high. I just worry sometimes that, you know, just cross my mind. I wonder if people have visions maybe that aren't as uh, effective at inspiring people to want and, and also feel like, hey, I want you to participate in this. I don't want, I don't want you to do this for me. I want you to do it for us. And I do spend a lot of time talking about in this, in, in our company here, how I don't know what the opportunities are ahead, but I know that if we all 
put our best effort forward, the opportunities will be boundless. I don't know what's in store for your role. I don't know where you're going to fit, but you can dictate that. And if we do it all together, we'll have way more options than if we don't work together. Yeah. You, you, as a CEO, you kind of have to give them clues to what the future may hold for them individually. And that's very, very important. You're not going to commit to it because everything is moving and you have to be adaptable in life and certainly in one's career. But it's helpful to have a CEO that gives clues of what you're thinking or where they could possibly end up. But then conclude with, but it's really, you know, you can write your own ticket. If you're committed, if you're bright, if you're capable, if you work well in a team environment, all the components that we look for in trying to get the right person in the right seat in a business, helping them understand your view of them and the vital role they play is gold, just real gold. So I would encourage CEOs to spend the time to think that through. And back to your other point about some CEOs may not have clarity around vision, the reality is most CEOs don't have complete clarity around vision because everything is going to be moving. There's an old expression that if an investor knew what actually would be necessary for their investment to be successful, they never would invest. And so to open your mind and heart in a way to ambiguity is also a really important skill for a CEO that, yes, we want you to make be decisive and make decisions, and you're going to be making decisions without full knowledge. That's just the nature of the beast. But to be comfortable in that ambiguity and be willing to change direction rapidly when you discover you're on the wrong path is part of the skill set. Yeah, that's a big reason that I have you here and sought you out and continue to have you here is that we can reflect... Well, we do reflect every two weeks on what's coming up. There are adjustments. Sometimes we think we're on this and all of a sudden there's other things, but not just keeps me focused, but I feel like I've got somebody to lean on for a voice that gets where I'm at all the time. It knows where I'm headed and can tell me, hey, this is, but I know you still let me fail where I need to fail, if that makes any sense. You can tell, you can talk about it, but you, until you experience it, the CEOs might not get it. Yeah. For the, you know, the reason I love what I do is because I'm working with people that are really smart, really driven, really want to do great things for their talented teams and want to change the world in one way or another. And, and that's a joy for me to work with people like that. I don't consider my role to be the answer man. My role is to be the, the what's the word, to excavate, to pull out from your genius, your thinking, and just help in a nominal way refine it so that it's even better through the experiences that I've had and you have had and the, the experience we have together. That, that's why it's such a fun business. And having clients like you is always makes it just a joy to get up in the morning. Yeah. And it's funny because that's why I, I guess one way of describing how I decided to, to go with you, it's not that you don't have a system. It's that you're a lot more flexible. You're more about the team that's on the ice, if you will, and what their strengths are versus just here, you got to do this, you got to do that. And I felt I was just the, Hey, I think this guy really cares about our business and believes in what we're doing, but it's, I feel like they're going to let me be me in this and not try to make me into something I'm not, which I think most people don't want to do. 
And I don't. I think it's hard enough to be myself to try to be somebody else. Yeah, yeah. It's it, There's not a cookie cutter to being a CEO. A CEO is capitalizing on one's greatest strengths, filling in the gaps where you have inexperience or not as strong, uh, surrounding yourself with the talent that can make one and one make five, not three or two, but five and adding talent along the way that you delegate, you teach, you role play the behaviors that are important to, to support the culture. And then you feed the flowers. You just feed the flowers with your encouragement, your guidance. And pretty soon you have a hell of a garden. Sunflowers. I love sunflowers. So sunflowers stand tall. The birds always knock out the seeds and and next year you have more and they're going to grow tall again and they nourish everything around them. They're incredible. I love them when they grow up here and there in the yard because an animal is eating them, move the seeds around if I'll just say it that way. And you're a wonderful sunflower too, my friend. And I appreciate you. Thanks for doing this with yeah, me. Yeah, Hopefully something in here is helpful for somebody, but I always enjoy our time, Kirk. Thank you so much. And I'm so proud of what the proud mouth is doing. You're really, really making waves and the right waves in this journey to big and great. So congratulations. Yeah. So bef before you stop listening here, hopefully I caught you before. I know sometimes, okay, they're done. I want to share something. If you, I'd love some feedback on how you felt about listening to this type of conversation. There was a little bit of marketing strength throughout this, which is the main topic of our podcast. I'm curious what you thought of listening to this. If you liked it, if you wanted, if it didn't have something, feel free. If you got more questions, you know, about any of the stuff that Jim talked about, if you want to reach out to Jim, Jim, how would they do that? Yeah. The easiest way would be probably email and I'll give the email address. It's J Casino, C-A-S-C-I-N-O at C hyphen suite, S-U-I-T-E dot co co no m at the end j casino at c suite dot co and it the name is casino but it actually has two c's in it so that's where most people go wrong that'd be the easiest way to reach me or they could probably come through you and i don't think the phones are going to be buzzing and keeping you busy on referring those calls yeah we will yeah they can also reach out you can reach you on, on linkedin if you want to send me a message you can email me kirk at proudmouth.com K-I-R-K, or you can send me a DM through LinkedIn, preferably. I'm on there every day, and I'd really love your feedback. I'd love for you to post a review in your podcast player if you haven't already done so. Would greatly appreciate that. And thanks for being our friends. Thanks for listening. It means a lot to us. I think it's a wonderful, I love being able to bring on people like Jim who mean a lot have made an impact on my business and my life. It's great to be able to give them the platform to, to, to talk or to share their thoughts and stories with you. I hope you got a lot out of this. And uh, next time, Mr. Matt Halloran will be back screaming and laughing with a little more energy than I'm, I can muster up. But uh, thanks so much for listening. Have a great Thank day. Thank you, Kirk. I've really enjoyed yeah, it. Us. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Top Advisor Marketing Podcast brought to you by Proudmouth. If you want to know more about how you can be your own loud, visit us at proudmouth.com and sign up for the Pod Rocket Academy. 
Through courses and office hours led by professional podcast producers and digital marketers, you will learn everything you need to know to become the trusted subject matter expert you were meant to be.